Welcome to On Topic, a series of conversations with experts on issues of importance to Alaska. I'm Jim Johnson, president of the University of Alaska, and I'll be talking with distinguished scholars and practitioners of the arts and of sciences about their work. In this segment, we explore the topic of Alaska literature and homestead life with my guest, Linda Chandelmeyer, lifelong Alaskan teacher, gardener, and poet. Chandelmeyer's newest poetry collection, Coming Out of Nowhere, is part memoir and part historical document. The poems celebrate the unique and nurturing aspects of homestead life, but don't shy away from unpleasant family details. Chandelmeyer's poetry has been awarded numerous prizes and distinctions, including Artist in Residence at Denali National Park in 2012, the Rasmussen Individual Artist Project Award in 2006, the Individual Artist Fellowship from the Alaska State Council on the Arts in 1984. Linda is the winner of the Midnight Sun, Fahey's, and Anchorage Daily News UAA Prizes for Poetry. Her poems have been set to music in three song cycles, one of which, Poem Against the Cold by British composer Corey Field, was performed at Carnegie Hall in New York City. Welcome to On Topic, Linda. It's great to have you here. Why poetry? That's a very good question, why poetry? I think, you know, I was always a reader as mm -hmm. a kid, but the only poetry book in our house was Robert Service, mm -hmm. and that didn't particularly move me. And um, when it came time to leave the house, and my mother made it abundantly clear that when you were 18, you had to leave, she had this expression. She said, when you're 18, I'm going to break your plate. She didn't really explain it, but it was pretty clear what that <laughs> meant. So when I was 18, I thought to myself, well, I don't have a boyfriend, so I can't get married. Good thing. Um, I don't have a job. And even if I did, she, my mother said, well, I'm not going to take you to a job. And it was about six miles to town. So that was out. Fortunately, I did have a very small book scholarship to the University of Alaska. And I thought, well, okay, there's a way to get out of the house. So it came time to, it was September, and then there was the flood. Oh. And so the beginning of the uh, university was delayed, and I was kind of anxious to get out of there at that point. Finally, a couple weeks later, it was time to go. I got on the train, and I went to Fairbanks, and I got off. And I kind of never looked back. Um, and then I, I didn't really start writing poetry until, um, well, I had a boyfriend in college who was writing poetry. And so maybe that was maybe my sophomore year or something. And so there was a writer's workshop in the basement of Bunnell Building. And I was a biology major. Not a, I wasn't a writing major, I was a biology major. And the biology classes were held upstairs in Bunnell. So um, I'd enter Bunnell on the main level, and there was a desk that sat there right by the door in the stairway. And on it were, were some mimeographed copies of the work from the writer's workshop. And my boyfriend was taking that class, so I'd pick up one of those uh, 
you know, one of those mimeograph sheets, and I would read some of the, the work there, and I thought, you know, after a while, I started thinking, well, you know, I actually probably have some poems I could write, too. So that's when I actually started writing poetry. It was into my uh, university career a few years before I started. What did you learn about yourself as you wrote poetry? Well, I mean, I knew, I did know a few things about myself, and one of them was that I was very shy, and that I, I wasn't, uh, and I also didn't feel comfortable uh, trying to write anything longer, even though as an avid reader, but poetry seemed accessible because you could write short things, you know, so... Um, I didn't know very much about myself. I mean, I was, uh, you know, I was raised on that homestead. I knew that I liked uh, to be outside. I didn't know, and I knew I liked to read, but that was about it. So, but, but as you start writing, you begin exploring these topics that you might not have ever explored. And, and in, in that process, like, you do learn, you know, things about yourself. I mean, I think one of the things you, you learn is that you don't, you don't really know what you're going to learn. You don't, when you write a poem, you start writing it and something happens that's magic that, you know, suddenly you write something that seems to have come out of nowhere, but of course it didn't. It came out of your self-conscious or something, so. Often young people, college students, other young people have questions that I think result in a, maybe questions about their confidence uh, as they deal with the world. Uh, you grew up on a homestead, took the train up to the university, first, you know, a flood, and then uh, your, your education in biology. How did you deal with questions of your own, maybe self-confidence, uh, as you took on this new activity of writing poetry? I, it seems like it just kind of evolved. I mean, I was very shy for many, many, many years, many years. I mean, I, I was very involved in the writing community in the 80s. And um, I, I, would, I remember the first time I gave a reading, one of my friends, fellow poet Joe Ensweiler, he, he said, you know, you really should do a reading. And I kind of drug my feet. I didn't really want to do it. Um, but he talked me into it and he said, well, I'll help you practice. So he helped me practice. And so I, you know, I did one and it's still, I don't say I was, I can't say I was very much more confident after that first one. It took a long time for me to become comfortable doing things like that. Um, but you know, you, you end up feeling like you have something to say and people read your work and they say, you know, would you read? And it's the next step in your sort of career as a poet. So you just do it. Okay. So you write a lot about your experiences as a young person on the homestead here in Alaska. What are some of the most impactful experiences in that early life that you've written about that are most powerful or most affected you and so obviously you felt the need to communicate right, yeah. those experiences yeah. to us. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, the one of the most important things to me growing up there, and I think continues into my, uh, you know, even as an adult, is um, 
the respect I have for the earth and for everything that lives on it. Um, and so I think that that is definitely present in my poetry. I, you know, there's, I use a lot of natural images, na images about the world, you know, about uh, trees. There's a lot of trees. I mean, the people comment about my latest book and they say, oh, the trees, you know. And I say even that they're a character in the book. I mean, they're very, trees are, in my view, sentient beings, and I, you know, I just feel a kinship with them. And how could you not when you grow up on 160 acres, and it's you and your brother and sister, and you're the middle kid, and I, I don't know what you know about kid, you know, family dynamics, but usually, I found out later that, that children form alliances, you know, they, skip a, they skip a child, so the, the youngest kid will form an alliance with the oldest kid and the middle kid gets left out. Well, good for me because then I got to be a poet, right? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I was left to my own devices some of the time, mm -hmm. you know, so. Your most recent work, Coming Out of Nowhere, where is nowhere? Is it nowhere. the homestead or well, where is, nowhere has to be more than just a place yeah. uh, that you lived. Uh, where else is yes. nowhere? You know, when, it, when, that t when I arrived at that title, it's the title of uh, one of the poems in the book, um, it felt to me that it was the fact that the homestead was nowhere be because uh, we were so insular there. Even though it was six miles from Anchorage, it was, you know, there, we had one car and my mother didn't drive. Um, and we, so, I mean, I probably spent most of my life there other than going to school. In the summertime, we were outside all the time just running around the homestead. You don't see any other people. You just, your brothers and si sisters, if you happen to be playing with them that day, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So that's, it felt to me that that was kind of nowhere. I mean, it's a place that nobody else is really other than your family. But of course, now it takes on another significance because the homestead's gone. And I think for people that read the book now, that's what they think. And it, it, so it's got this two meanings, but maybe not even the one you're talking about. You know, because now the homestead does not exist. It's all there, there's just condos there. So the driveway is across from 100th Avenue on the old Seward. But there's not, there's not even a tree left there. There's nothing left there at all. It's all gone. That place has had a powerful effect on your work, but also on you. Yes, absolutely. How would you express the feeling of now going there to that really powerful place in your life and seeing it completely transformed into well, something it, and then I guess the second half of that question is what about that place is the same, if anything? Well, let's see. The, what, what, well, let me answer that part first. Sure. There's, there's really nothing the same, mm -hmm. as far as I can see. But when, when it actually got destroyed, um, which is almost 20 years ago now, 15 years ago or so, um, I, cu I couldn't go by there. I couldn't even drive by there because it was just so gut-wrenching. Um, I finally did, I wrote about, I, I actually 
pulled off there and just looked, you know, and it's, I, you have to make your peace with it, you know, but for a long time, well, the only thing that looked the same was the mountains because those beautiful Tugach mountains are still there. And then I went through this period where I just was mad at the mountains, you know, <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. It's like, okay, you guys are still here and you saw all this and you allowed it to happen. Well, there's, that makes no sense, you know. But I have to say that writing this book, this memoir, I've gotten past all of that. That's one of the wonderful things about memoir. I knew I had to write this book as a memoir. People said, what? and I knew I had to write it as, a, as poetry. People said, oh, why don't you write, just write about it, write, write a nonfiction book. But I, I knew I couldn't capture the, the mythical sort of feeling about the, I had about the place in fiction. And plus, poetry is my, obviously my medium. It just is. It just fits who I am. It fits who you are. Mm -hmm. So did it come very easily and naturally to you, or was it something, poetry, that you really had to focus on and work at to study? Because at universities, we often study. Uh, we organize our thoughts and ideas, our work in disciplines, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that takes habits and structure and uh, a, often a linear way of, of thinking. We formulate hypotheses and then we systematically, rigorously test them and prove them up or down. Uh, and scientists do that. Yeah, That's what my right. degree was in. <laughs> but, you know, when I came to, to Fairbanks, I, I couldn't figure out what I should major in. I had no idea. But finally I thought, well, I ran around the homestead my entire life. I'm out in the natural world. I'll just major in biology, which I loved. And But I think there's a quite a good fit between biology and poetry because both of them involve looking and seeing and looking carefully. But, um, and as far as, as, being, as poetry being um, something that I had to work at, yes, I had to work at it, but it was a labor of love. I mean, I mean, it was something I wanted to do. And I, after I got my degree in science, then there were writers' workshops, and many of them were in the evening. So I, I uh, attended many of those. I, I first I studied with John Morgan, and with Dave Stark, and, and Peggy Shoemaker. I, I went to all those workshops and got to know many of the local writers, like Cindy Hardy, who was on the faculty for many years, and um, so I learned a lot about poetry then, but, but it's a, it's a, uh, there's a lot more to learn than, than what I learned there, for sure. I remember the first time I had a poem, and I remember that John Morgan said to me, he said, there's a poem here somewhere, but it's not on the page. And I said, okay then, what do I do now? And he said, well, you might try turning it over and write what you really meant to say. So that was my first lesson in revision. I turned the, went home, I turned the page over, and I wrote what I really want to say, and I wrote a whole new poem that was really about the same idea. But, so that was my first lesson in revision, and then I've come to just love the process of revision. I find it fascinating. So, I mean, I never write a poem without revising it multiple times. 
You know, as I listen to you, and I, I wonder how you balance the drive, the intentionality that it takes to write a poem and then revise that poem on the one hand. And on the other hand, with the need to let it happen, to be open to what comes as you go through the writing process. And I wonder your thoughts on how to balance those two forces that can be competing with each other, but I think are necessary, that's my sense, my, that are necessary in order to uh, put together a poem or really any work uh, that, that works. Oh, that's the best part is balancing all that. I okay. think it's, it, I love that process. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't always have a real regular writing practice. I do, if I'm working on something, like while I was working that book, I would get up every morning at six o'clock and go write for about three or four hours. And then I, I'd, um, so, so sometimes I do, but if, but I don't always, like if I'm not working on some, something that's more than single poems, sometimes I'll take breaks, but I think I'm always working on them in my head. But so, so the process, you were asking me about the process, so you're asking me if, how do you balance the conflicting, having to just get in there and just do the revision, which is more, um, with the, that's a different part of your brain, it's probably right brain, right? And so, well, there's, you don't, I don't do that until I feel like I have something that is pretty creative. And that stuff is, that's tricky. You have to, you kind of have to wait for it to happen. You have to, you have to um, put yourself in a frame of mind where, where you're open to something revolutionary happening. And then when it does, you find out that you knew something that you didn't think you knew, something that was invisible to you, and suddenly it becomes visible. And then you can write that. And once you have that, then you can go back to the process of just sort of editing and getting rid of lines that don't work and looking for a different word and so forth. That, does that answer mm -hmm. your question? Do you ever close your eyes and visualize a poem or the themes of a poem or no, anything no. like that? No, I okay. don't accept it. I, I say no, but then after I finished this, this book, um, the last poem I wrote was about a week ago. I wrote this poem about global warming. And I say I don't visualize. I'm saying no to you. But then that poem's been probably living in my head for a long time. And one thing that I noticed about that, I mean, because I have to admit to being pretty fearful about what's happening to our, pl our planet and what's going to happen to us and how long do we have and all of that. But after writing that poem, I realized I stopped being so fearful and decided that I just need to take action. It's really not like me not to take action. Usually I do, but that's such a huge huge unknown. I couldn't figure out what to do. Do you read much of others' poetry? I do. I read a lot of poetry. Who are your favorite poets? Oh, gosh. It depends who I'm reading at the moment, but like um, my favorite Fairbanks poet is Jill Osier. 
Do you know her no, work? No, I don't, no. Um, well, she just won a huge award, like Academy of American Poets, Young Poets Award. And she lives right here in Fairbanks, and she writes amazing poetry. I mean, she's one of my favorite people. Um, and then I love W.S. Merwin, who just who just died. I don't know if you know his work. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think he's he's amazing, sensational. He has this poem called uh, Blueberries After Dark. And it starts out, it, that's not really what it's about. It's about something entirely different, but the, it just totally works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a really good poem. And his, his whole book, Shadow of Sirius, is wonderful. Um, I like the poet uh, Naomi Shihab Nye more, more for her care of other poets than her. I like her poetry, but because of her personality, you know, that drives how I feel about her. Because she came to Fairbanks um, 20 or 30 years ago, and she um, gathered up a, a people that wanted to join with her once uh, for a whole week. And we just sat with her and talked writing. And she's one of those people that's very gracious and encourages other writers. So, I mean, and that's, kind of, that's just the kind of person she is. And I like her, I like her poetry. Um, I, of course, how can you not like Mary Oliver? Um, see who else? I like Lee Young Lee, who's a Chinese American poet writing out of Chicago. Um, uh, Tess Gallagher. Um, that's just some that come to mind. As I listen to you, Linda, I reflect on the solitary work of writing poetry. And I also hear that there's a strong community of poets. How do you work together in a way, even though it's a solitary activity? Uh, uh, would you share with us your, what you get from the community of, of poets that enables you to write such fine poetry? Well, I think one of the one of the parts of writing is that you need to have an, an audience, right? And because why do you write otherwise? You write so you can, you know, com communicate how you feel to the world. I think, and so um, and you also need other poets because you need you need some um, people that can give you constructive criticism. So I mean, out of that group that I was just talking about that. Um, that spent time with Naomi Shiab Nye, those people that were in that group um, formed a writing group after that. And um, that writing group's been going since the 80s, I think. And yeah, it must have been the 80s. And um, I, I've been in it for most of that time, although when I was teaching school, I wasn't in it because I couldn't do anything but teach school when I was teaching school. But I joined back up as soon as I. Uh, retired from teaching, and so those are those people have been together for many, many, many years, and the people come and go, and we get new members on occasion. But um, so, so when you have a um, other writers are are your community, and they help you, you know, and they give you feedback. So that's that's really important. Is that the kind of thing you were? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's probably other <laughs> aspects of it too. Well, you were a teacher as well. And uh, what 
advice would you give an 18-year-old Linda Schandelmeyer knowing now what you know uh, about the art and the work of writing poetry and also as a as an experienced teacher what what advice or counsel would you give her or some other young person today who's who's inspired by your work or the work of other poets i would say the first thing is you have to make time to to write because if you don't you're not going to get anywhere right you have to have you have to make time and and that doesn't have to be a lot of time it can it can be as little as 15 or 20 minutes you'd have to sit down and write some of your thoughts and try to get into that creative space. You've got to have the time. That's one thing. And then um, if you get that far, then of course you need to find some people you can trust that will look at your work and give you advice or comments. And then the other thing is you have to be willing to be terrified if you're going, <laughs> if you're going to write. You have to be willing to face those things that appear to be demons or scary or, you know, you have to, in that latest book I write a lot about people that were abusive. And when you do that, it's, it's funny because when you write about people, for example, that you don't start out looking kindly on, you, you begin to understand their humanity just by writing about them. And what, what happens when you do that is, is it frees you from the power they had over you. Very interesting. So there's a, almost a therapeutic catharsis. There is, a, there is for memoir, comes. for sure. Yes, mm -hmm. definitely. And I think, you know, I suppose it depends what you write, mm -hmm. you know. I, it, but um, there is some of that. I, I just think mostly, though, it's a love of language, yeah. you know, and the surprise that comes with the discovery when you write, which is one of the things that I learned late. I went, I went to a writing conference about four or five years ago, and I had the poems for the manuscript, and it wasn't, it needed another whole set of revision. I was pretty sure, so I went there, and the one of the people that was leading it is Jeffrey Levine, who, who um, runs uh, Tupelo Press, which is a big independent publisher. And he, he said that you, poems need to have a discovery. They need a discovery for the writer and they need a discovery for, for the reader. And if the writer is, has a discovery, the reader is going to ha feel the same thing. And I actually, when I sat down to revise that book the last time, that was my whole goal. I would take a poem and I'd look at it and I'd say, where's the discovery? Well, there isn't any. I set out to write this poem about X, you know, and there's no discovery. Well, how do you do that then? How do you change that? You know, that was a fun process, actually. Mm -hmm. you, you just start writing and you just start writing and you get, you get a draft and you think, oh, okay, that's not it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. I, um, so that's what I would say is just yeah. go with it. You know, yeah. be willing to face those, whatever, if you have demons, face it. Otherwise, look for a discovery. Mm -hmm. you that's know? wise counsel. I'll try to apply that the next budget memo I write. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, uh, oh, yeah. I have that experience, too, of uh, a teacher taught me uh, a long time ago that you, you know what you think once you've read it. And what 
he was telling me is you you learn as you write and you it comes out onto the page and you read it and say ah yes that's what i think uh, because there's actually a dynamic learning and discovery process, even in writing prose, which is where my world <laughs> typically is. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and that's surely the case in, in writing poetry as well. Yeah, well, yeah. I think prose is that's very similar, actually, mm -hmm. depending mm -hmm. on, you know, what sort of prose, of course. But, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, uh, the fiction writer, Anthony Doerr, would, said that the reason people should read fiction is because it builds empathy, you know? And, and uh, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I think that's one of the things that creative writing of all types does. And that's why it's, it's so important to kind of it, at this time in, in, in the United States where we have so much division, um, because if you try to convince somebody something with using facts, how far do you get? The bow wave of facts. Yeah, I try that with uh, the governor or somebody, right? You probably don't get very far. <laughs> I've tried well, not it. just the governor, I've tried I mean, it. <laughs> anybody. I mean, you try yeah. to convince your spouse of something using facts, it doesn't work, but, yeah. but emotion works pretty well. Yeah, I learned something from Anthony Doerr as well. Uh, I think we met him at, at the uh -huh. same yeah, conference. Yeah, and and he, he called particularly the men out. Uh, for their book clubs, which are almost always about military history or presidential biography. Really? <laughs> yeah. And so I committed to myself then that I was always have some fiction going along with my, you know, military history stuff. and my political biography. And but uh, I, you know, I really appreciate that from Anthony. That was a really yeah. uh, insightful point he made. It was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you've got quite a a body of work already on the shelf. Uh, what's next? Well, I only have two books. <laughs> well, it's an important body of work, and so my question is, what are you, what are you thinking about next? You've, there's more. There's more there. I know. It's going to be very different. Okay. I think it's okay. not going to be a memoir. Okay. I've done that. Mm -hmm. um, so right now, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm exploring a sort of freer form, I guess is what I'll say, and a, and a sort of uh, a less kind of, um, not fact-driven, but a different kind of language. So I've only got a couple of poems. The whole process of birthing this book has, it hasn't been real conducive to me writing other stuff, mm -hmm. <laughs> other poems. Mm -hmm. um, you have to do a lot of your own PR and that kind of thing. So it takes time and it changes the way I think. And I think I needed a break, a little bit of a break from it too. So um, I'm not, I, I have thought about garden themes, but not just using the garden as a metaphor for something else. Um, that'll have to be a more discovery process. So what would you share with, with us, Linda, about your work that has not been, it was not in your memoir? And it's something that is not overtly in your poetry, but is something that drives your work. That is something you're willing to share with us, but is perhaps a surprise or uh, something we wouldn't immediately see, but that is there. 
Is there something like that in your work? That, Give me some more clues, like in my work or in what I do. Well, is there outside something? Of my work, yeah, or? just something that is uh, that's perhaps quirky. That is uh, something about you that again influences or uh, drives your work, but is something that wouldn't be obvious that we wouldn't know that you'd be willing to I don't think share. there is anything. Okay, okay, that's fair. <laughs> no, good for I'm you. I'm pretty upfront. Oh, that's good. There's okay. not very much hidden, I okay. have to say. It's uh -huh. like what you see is what you get, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm a, I like to cook. I'm very curious about everything on the planet. I, I quiz my husband about everything he's doing, if he'll tell me about it. I, um, I'm pretty private, though. I mean, I don't. Um, I don't feel like I need a lot of real close friends. I have mm. a few, but I think that's the homestead part. It's kind of hard to shake that. Um, I'm a very, I'm a very happy person. Um, there's really not very much. <laughs> there's really not much in there. And as far as the writing goes, I just have to go up to my desk and sit there and and see what what sort. Of, I, I I often start with like one little idea, and then I see where it goes. And I'm pretty slow. I'm a slow writer. I you know I write might write something one day. It's like oh no, there's not there's nothing there, and I do it again and again and again. You know, mostly. Well, there's some wisdom there. I my my. Uh immigrant grandfather used to say in his thick Danish accent, you know, Jim, I, I may be dumb, but I sure am slow. And I, <laughs> I used to just puzzle over that when I was a little kid. And the older mean? I get, I have, I'm coming to figure it out. Uh, and, you know, I may be dumb. I may not be dumb, yeah, this but is... I may be dumb. That's a possibility. That's a question. But I sure am slow. Um, meeting, deliberate, uh, patient. Uh, deliberate, patient, uh, taking my time, enjoying life as opposed to running from here to there all the time. And so at least that's how I'm interpreting that, yeah. well, that that's, line now. That's my so, preferred method of <laughs> okay. operation also. It's uh -huh. like I don't know how people do it that are moving from here to there at great speed, but maybe they grew up someplace where they moved at great speed and that's what they're comfortable with. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So. Well, Linda, thank you. Uh, this has been really an enjoyable uh, conversation. Uh, I hope our viewers uh, enjoy it too. I'm sure they will. And I encourage them to read uh, Coming Out of Nowhere uh, and your poetry uh, as well. And uh, I want to thank, again, you for your time and your creativity and sharing your experiences with us today. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. pleasure.